Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Doc Tales. If you have not joined us before, this is a bi-weekly Facebook Live event that AGLCA does. The concept is to meet around the traditional time of Doc Tales in the afternoon when everyone's tying up their boats for the day. And uh, you'll notice, though, if you saw the, uh, the title of this, it's Doc Tales, T-A-L-E-S because it is all about us bringing in some gold loopers to tell the stories of their great loop adventure. And if you're brand new with us, gold loopers, of course, are those who have completed the entire route. So I'm very pleased today we have Ken Freeman with me and his wife Celeste is hoping to join us a little bit later. Celeste actually went back to work after they finished their great loop. Um, so she is busy doing that. But like I said, we're hopeful that she'll be able to join us a little bit later. Um, but I wanna go ahead and, and welcome Ken to DocTales. Ken, thanks for being here. Well, glad to be with you, Cam. It's, it's an honor and I want to thank you and the whole Homeport crew for making it so easy for all of us loopers that didn't know what we were doing when we started. <laughs> well, it is, it is my great pleasure. And we've got lots of loopers, lots of new loopers who are kind of in that situation where they're not quite sure where to start. So this is one of the ways we're helping them to gather some details about the Great Loop and try and decide if it's something they really want to do. So. To kind of kick us off, tell us a little bit about um, you and Celeste and what made you decide to do the Great Loop? Well, I, I bought this boat. I've kind of grown up on big boats and always had a dream of having one. And so, well, two years before I found this boat, which is the fourth boat under contract, I was on the Outworld. Celeste passed by the computer and she told me, quit wasting time. You can't afford a boat like that. Well, I don't worry about details and, you know, persistence and and good luck god finally provided the dream come true and an antique boat in pretty good shape naturally all boats need need things done especially older ones but uh, she served us very well and you know with more comfort than we needed well, and uh, we're starting to get some shout outs from some of the folks watching on facebook so sue costa from lucky me sue and greg say hello I know you ran into them in your travels and Celeste actually wrote one of the chapters in the book that Sue put together, Ladies on the Loop. So definitely check that out. Um, we'll actually post where you can find that. Um, if you actually go to Lucky Me Looping, it's a um, Facebook group that Susan has set up and she's got the uh, a few books actually. Um, but one of them is Ladies on the Loop and Celeste did provide a chapter for that. So definitely check that out. Um, but you mentioned um, your boat. So let's talk a little bit about that um, because we have so many members and so many Facebook followers that are still in the search for their Great Loop boat. So tell us about your Hatteras. Um, give, her, give us kind of her uh, specifications, if you will. Well, it's a uh, model is a 44 triple cabin. Celeste tells her friends it's three bedroom, two bath. And I told her when we found it, I said, you'll be challenged to find a boat this small with more comfort. And I was only the third owner. The two previous owners took good care of it. And fortunately, the previous owner, he put Corian counters in both heads and the galley and some teak and holly floors in the galley and forward cabin. So the inside of the boat was pretty good and it still needed a lot. I had to rebuild a generator, but it's it's a great boat and i've grown up on antique boats the queen of the new york boat show from 1941 was 
in my family and one other for 35 years, so I wasn't afraid of old boats like most people are. If you have a well cared for boat, you'll save a ton of money in your upfront investment and with good engines and good maintenance, they can last a lifetime. Absolutely. So did you do a lot of the work on the boat yourself? Uh, most of it. I, I had a professional mechanic go through the engines and, you know, do everything. I mean, I had to rebuild a generator when I bought it. It had, had water in a fuel tank. And, and uh, so the generator had to be rebuilt, although it only had 1,200 hours when I bought the boat. It was new in 2000, but the engines were original. They were 49 years old when I left. So I was, I was a little bit nervous. You know, any, any boat can create a problem, but when they're antique machinery, no telling when something's going to go wrong, but I've done everything possible to bring them in, into great condition. And I wasn't, I felt unprepared. I had no spare parts at all other than oil and fuel filters. Mm -hmm. And the engines ran flawlessly for 830 hours. And they've never been overhauled. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, we've got a, a plethora of Susans joining us today. We already saw a quick message from Susan Costa. Susie Q, Susan Pellet is also with us, as is Susan Webb um, from the crew of Reverie. So hello to all the Susans who have joined us. Um, and Susie Q asked one of the questions that was on my mind, what kind of engines are they? Because obviously they performed very well, even though they were older engines. So tell us, wh what are they? Well, the Detroit diesels, uh, it's eight V71s. The boat I grew up on, the Queen of the New York Boat Show, had straight 671s, and we never had any trouble with those in the 35 years we owned the boat. And most people call them bulletproof. My little brother, who's a 40-year professional captain, he said, oh, they're messy engines, but they'll always get you home. And like I said, I had them in good condition when I left with no spare parts, and they ran flawlessly the whole trip. And a uh, question about the engines, are they supercharged engines? No, and that's, I, I, I'm from the old school, simplicity is better. The you know naturally aspirated engines will last much longer, especially the older ones that are really heavily built, meant to last a lifetime. And these engines were used you know throughout the war, World War II and tanks, landing craft and all kind of stuff. And, I've had people tell me they will run on cooking oil. <laughs> you know, so for those, we have a, several people kind of just joining us. Just give us one more time. It's a, um, an antique Hatteras. What's the year and the length of the boat? It's 1970. Uh, it's 44 triple cabin. It's actually 44 feet, seven inches long and 14.7 beam. One of the best things about it, with all that comfort, it only draws three and a half feet. So you can go anywhere, and when I lower the mast, I can get under less than 14 feet of air draft. Mm -hmm. Very nice, especially for the current great loopers who may, may or may not be able to get to Canada this year. Right. Um, the Erie Canal, that's a great air draft for the Western Erie Canal. Um, so let's see. So we talked a little bit about the boat. You mentioned during that that you had actually, this was uh, not the first boat that you surveyed. Um, so because we have uh, so many folks looking for their Great Loop boats, and right now the boat marketplace, um, there's just so little inventory for sale. So we're seeing a lot of people having to try multiple times. So tell us a little bit about that boat search 
um, and the ones that perhaps you took to survey or thought may be the one uh, before you actually found the current God's grace? Well, the uh, second boat that I looked at was a 1970 Matthews, and those holes were built in England and brought over to the States to be finished out. But I read the, sur the previous owner's survey and found that it had blisters when the owner bought it 22 years earlier and didn't everything. I just walked away. I'm not, I didn't want a boat with blisters. And when I hauled this boat out of the water, there was one, what I thought was a blister, it was a, a, a bubble of water under the paint, just a paint blister, which is nothing. And the blister started in the early 70s when the oil embargo happened and the manufacturers changed the resin formula to, because of the higher cost of oil. That's when the blisters really started. This boat was built before that. And the older boats, like I said, this boat's solid as a rock and, and built much heavier than, than today's boats. But it will handle better and a little bit of chop because it weighs 27 tons. Oh, okay. And in spite of that, with the power, it, it will go 20 miles an hour if you have a wallet to, to feed the tanks. But yeah. we, we got amazingly good. The boat I grew up on, of course, we were running the generator all the time, but we got an, it had two 671s, which should be more fuel efficient than the eights, but uh, we got a mile to the gallon on that. On the Great Loop, I got 1.55 miles to the gallon, which people, they can't believe that. Well, the, like I said, the engines were tuned in, in good shape and going slow on the loop, you, you know, you get a lot better fuel economy. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and David has a question for you. Um, at 27 ton, what is the best cruise? Um, not sure if he's asking cruising speed or the best. Well, the most, does he want to know the most economical cruise speed? It, that may be it. David, if you want to, when there's a few seconds delay between what we see and what you type, but David, if you want to type a little bit more info, um, speed, what's the best cruising speed at 27 tons so what's what's kind of the planing speed and and what's the typical speed you get on the loop well on our loop over 6558 miles we averaged just below eight miles an hour per engine hour that includes waiting for locks occasionally or waiting for a bridge or you know whatever whenever the engines were running we averaged almost eight miles an hour the boat like that i rarely i don't think on the loop I went faster than 12 or 13 miles an hour when I was trying to hurry to make the bridge at Charlevoix on the half hour. Uh, you know, when you're comfortable, you don't need to go fast. And a lot of people say, slow down and, and you know, smell the roses, take in the scenery. So I, I wasn't in a hurry. And uh, naturally, the slower you go, the better the fuel economy you get. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, we want to talk specifically about your great loop, but I do want to kind of wrap up some of the details of the boat. So talk, talk to us about kind of what you liked best about your Hatteras um, and anything that you might the, change if you could do it again. One of the biggest things I like, it was real similar to the boat I grew up on, the all-weather helm, which is fully protected, you know, sun and with windshield. You've got great visibility, although there's no fly bridge. It's up high enough for visibility is not an issue, and you're with any guest on the aft deck, and that aft deck, too, is like a, a big outdoor patio undercover where you can enjoy being outside and, 
as Captain John says, 95 to 99% of the time in the loop, you're going to have perfect weather, which we did. We had perfect weather. Our, our roughest night was at anchor in Fort Pierce the night before we got home when the wind was blowing 30, 30 miles an hour and raining. Other than that, you know, I mean, it rained a couple of times, but the whole trip, you know, on the typical calendar that loopers follow, you're going to have almost perfect weather the whole way. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that typical calendar because we did get a question from Mary and she's wanting to know when you started the loop and from where and when you finished it. So you kind of mentioned the typical looper calendar, so to speak, and it sounds like you did it in that kind of traditional one year time frame. So go ahead and kind of map that out for us, if you will. We, we left late. I was planning on leaving in early April. We didn't leave until May 3rd. I felt unprepared, didn't get things done, had no spare parts. We left May 3rd from Vero Beach, Florida, headed headed north. And we, because we're late, we kind of hurried up the East Coast because I want to spend as much time in Canada as possible. And we got home December 21st before Christmas, same year. We would have been home soon, sooner without the record-setting longest looper side trip in history, perhaps. We, on the spur of the moment, impromptu, we took a South Pacific cruise from Papiette to Sydney, Australia, left the boat in Columbus, Mississippi for almost a month. But So did you keep stats on that? So that's you know, roughly, it sounds like seven months or so, maybe eight, um, you're away from the boat for a month. So how many travel days did you take? You know, how many days were you actually on the move versus staying put? And about how many miles a day did you tend we're, to travel? Including... Including the 29 days we were at the Columbus Marina, the whole trip was 235 days. 30 of that almost was sitting still in, in Columbus. And we had 158 travel days, averaged 40 or 45 miles a day. Our, our longest day was going up the East Coast. We went from, uh, I think, Southport, North Carolina to to Camp Lejeune, Anchorage, 121 miles in 14 hours. Wow, that's a long day. Our, our shortest day, two short days were like four miles and 10 miles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 50 miles or so is kind of the looper average for how many miles you travel on a travel day. Um, of course, that's gonna vary. There's gonna be some longer stretches like you experienced and some shorter ones. It sounds like, you know, total time start to finish was a little bit less for you, total number, you know, total time frame. Um, but a lot of loopers, your number of travel days is pretty similar to most, most loopers. Um, so that all kind of fits in. Um, but for those of you who are not real familiar with kind of the typical looper um, time frame, so to speak, that Ken was mentioning, it's very typical to leave the Florida's East Coast around this time of year, actually, um, and head up the East Coast. We've got several loopers coming through Charleston right now. I got to visit with one couple today at one of our local marinas. So hi to the Starks on Island Girl. Um, so typically you're, you're cruising on kind of what we call the traditional looper time frame. You're cruising with the warm weather. As Ken said, you're kind of enjoying the weather as you go. So heading up the East Coast in the spring, arriving at the New York canals in mid to late May, which is when they typically open, spending the summer on the Great Lakes, and then heading out through the inland rivers um, 
September timeframe, reaching the Gulf around November, December timeframe, and then spending the winter in Florida. So that's kind of the, the timeframe. And uh, Ken and Celeste's timeframe really was very much in line with that. Um, just that they uh, finished their loop in Florida, started a little bit late and then finished in Florida. While other loopers who maybe Florida's not their home will just kind of meander around South Florida for the winter months and not do a whole lot of miles. So that's kind of the traditional looper schedule. I don't know if everyone is hearing this or I'm just hearing it, but I'm hearing some clicking when I'm talking. I don't know if you're hearing that, Ken, but I am going to switch to my headset. Okay. So give me a moment. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can get that to work now. Yeah, Kim, I mentioned Sorry about that, folks. We, we, we left May 3rd. We entered New York City May 20, or May 31st, so 28 days from Vero Beach to New York, which is 1,435 miles. Or, or that was a little less. We, we weren't in a mad dash, but we didn't waste any time. <laughs> yeah, no, and it sounds like that's just a little bit kind of a little quicker than... I hate the, the word standard because everybody's loop is their own, but a little bit faster than many um, just on that East Coast portion. Um, so we have a question for you. What part of the loop did you encounter the worst weather or conditions on the water? You did say you had pretty good weather, which isn't the case every year <laughs> um, for all loopers. So um, did you tell us uh, what year it was that you did the loop, started and finished? 2019. Okay. So 2019 and tell us... Um, where you encountered the worst water conditions or weather conditions? Well, the worst weather conditions were a fine light on the hook in Fort Pierce with 30 mile an hour winds and rain, but the roughest sea conditions were it's a little bit choppy in the Chesapeake and fuse blew on my autopilot. And it would have had trouble steering because it's a quartering sea of three feet plus for five or six hours in the Chesapeake. And then when we crossed Lake Michigan from Leland to Upper Door County, Wisconsin, about a 75 mile across the lake. Same condition, about you know three foot sea quartering on the stern, which is a hard sea to steer in. But we were comfortable. I, I wasn't in a hurry. We we averaged nine miles an hour across the Lake Michigan, and it was a beautiful day. Just a little slight lumpiness on the sea. Mm -hmm. So, what were your favorite? Some of your favorite stops along the way? Well. Canada was my favorite. And that's why I really hurried up the East Coast and missed a lot of the, you know, really nice spots in the Chesapeake. I figured I could go back there because it's closer to home. In case I didn't get back to Canada, I wanted as much time in Canada as possible. And I mean, there are just so many places. The whole way, the, the whole trip is just the most fabulous experience you'll, you'll encounter. So many beautiful places to see and so many beautiful people to meet. Uh, and next question for you is, how did you like Door County? What was your favorite part of the Wisconsin side? Well, Door County was spectacular. Uh, we anchored in Sister Bay after crossing the lake, and, and the boat was there for, I think, four days. Our neighbors across the street here have a house on Green Bay, and they insisted we come stay with them. I was a little bit nervous of leaving the boat on the hook unattended, but we did that for two nights, and uh, went went to a, a neat little Norwegian restaurant with goats on the roof for breakfast with with our local neighbors and you know it's just like I said 
Wisconsin is beautiful. I mean, Michigan is beautiful. Charlevoix was one of my favorite ports on, on the whole lift. Just, just absolutely breathtaking, as well as all of the pristine conditions in Georgian Bay and throughout Canada. And all the Canadian people are just fabulous. Sorry, I muted myself to try and get through that clicking. Um, not sure where that's coming from. I do still hear it, um, even with the headset, which is odd. So we're just going to have to try and plow through it, I think. Um, so, yeah, we're really hopeful that the Canadian border opens again soon with, and the U.S. border opens so that our Canadian members can, it can come do their cruising here and we can do the same. Um, so where it, it, you mentioned Charlevoix and you mentioned you did the Wisconsin side. So where did you cross the lake? Because it's not, you know, most people will do one side or the other, but very few go back and forth six, uh, more than we, once. We went, we went to Mackinac, which is neat. And mm -hmm. down uh, and we anchored mm -hmm. off a of marina and caught a, a bus to Traverse City, Michigan, spent the day there just on, on land and then went down to Leland and, uh, saw a weather window. I wanted to cross the lake. You know, a lot of people say that the Michigan side has ports close together for bad weather. That's true, but the prevailing winds are from the west. So on the Michigan side, I think you'll have better weather and there's plenty of ports there as well. Uh, just everywhere we went was, was pretty special. And, uh, you know, my biggest advice, don't delay, don't put it off get a boat and live the dream because it's it's you'll not regret it you'll, you're more likely to regret what you didn't do than, than what you what you did and it's 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 an adventure and it's a challenge but so so rewarding and so many people to meet yeah that's absolutely great advice um so let's see tell us a little bit more um kind of about your cruising style did you tend to Tie up at marinas more, anchor more, some of both. Did you know? Did you keep stats on how many times you um, you did each? Well, we did, and as you, you, all the listeners might guess, having a fifty-year-old boat, I had a little bit lower budget than most loopers, so we anchored out more than most. We anchored eighty-eight nights, spent uh, twenty-six on the walls in Canada, and total, including the 29 days in Columbus while we took a side trip to the South Pacific. Total nights in Marina were 72. So minus that 29, we spent 43 nights in the Marina, almost, you know, more than twice as many nights at anchor as Marines. And we spent 47 nights at free docks, which my navigator and, and Celeste, who was fabulous, she considered her the, herself the free dock queen and recommend, uh, <laughs> aqua maps to help you find those free docks. Yeah. Uh, question from Ed. Did you get an opportunity to go to Washington Island? Uh, where is that, Ed? Or to refresh my yeah, Ed, if you can add, I'm not familiar with that either. I think it's on the Wisconsin side of the lake, but I could be wrong. And while, while Ed may be able to give us some more information, uh, Rhonda says hello. Um, just got a little message for you. And I'm looking forward to seeing Rhonda, on Saturday, we've got Docktails coming up here in Charleston for our AGLCA members. So if you're a member and you're going to be in or near Charleston on Saturday, go to the greatloop.org website under the latest news. There is a link there that you can just uh, let us know that you're coming. 
Um, Curtis Stokes and Associates is providing the food, so we need a head count for that. So uh, Rhonda will see you there, and Rhonda sends her hellos to you, Ken and Celeste. And we're still hoping Celeste may be able to join us. Um, and if, if she can, we'll certainly add her in right away. Um, Ed added that Washington Island is in Door County, so it sounds like maybe that's not one of the locations you got to visit. I, 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 remember, um, I, I knew it was in that area. I just couldn't remember. I did not go to Washington Island. I mean, there are a lot of places. You know, we were, we were on a faster pace than most loopers. In fact, on our last trip or south from uh, Columbus, Mississippi, two looper boats came in. The afternoon we got back after four flights and a little bit of jet lag, Celeste wanted to spend an extra night. Two loopers, short story and excess came in and I asked me, you all gonna stay here or are you leaving tomorrow? Oh no, we're leaving tomorrow. So I come back and told Celeste, we're leaving in the morning. You know, we were kind of late. We left Columbus on December 5th. And so we ran with those two boats and had good fellowship for five days to Mobile. And short story was in their fourth year and she, she said, oh, I told her I want to be home by Christmas. She said, oh, Ken, there's no way you're going to make it home by Christmas. And I told her, well, I, I may not, but I, that's my goal. You know, no, no real schedule, but I had two grand, twin grandbabies that were celebrating their first birthday on the 28th, and that's why I was trying to get home to make their first birthday party. Oh, fun. We, we did make it home on the 21st, a week ahead of that. So I told her, I'm not on the four-year plan like you are. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and uh, Susan Pellet, uh, her original boat was Susie Q. She finished the boat on Alani, I believe. Susan, I'm sorry. I'm... Yeah, we, we, yes. we met Susie Q. Hi, Susie. Yep. So I think she's saying that that Washington Island may have been where she met you at the free dock. Um, so maybe you were there. <laughs> no, I, I didn't go to Washington Island, but we, we, we stayed at lots of free docks. Was, you know, they're all over the place. Oh, that's probably when she's saying that's where we met a free doc. She probably was commenting on your free doc, um, you, you, talking about the free docs that you you stayed at for sure. Yeah, we, we, that makes more we sense. Shared, we shared a free doc in De, I think it was Decatur, Alabama, with Susie Q. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Alon. So, uh, let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, Ken, about anchoring. Since you did anchor frequently, um, did you have a dinghy, and if so, what kind? Yeah, I had a. I bought a nine and a half foot used West Marine dinghy and a three and a half horse, four stroke kicker to put on it. Uh, I made my own do-it-yourself lift to pick it up out of the water on the, on the swim platform. Cost me about $120 in, in stainless steel parts and several hours of head scratching design and, and <laughs> with a skill saw cutting, cutting some lumber and putting it together. But, it, it worked well, you know, like I said, with a 50 year old boat, my budget didn't allow for all, all those things that a lot of people <laughs> spend their money on, but we made it. You, you can do the loop on a, on a shoestring budget. We burned more fuel than most, but our boat, boat investment was pennies on the dollar compared to most. Sure, that makes sense. And from what everyone says, you know, the, the ability to easily launch and retrieve the dinghy is huge if you plan to use it a lot. So it sounds like you came up with an innovative solution for that. Uh, how often did you use the dinghy? Did you have pets aboard that you needed to get to shore? And um, you know what was what was kind of your typical dinghy usage if you were at an anchorage? No, no pets on board. I mean, we use the dinghy the most probably in Georgian Bay. In fact, I, I towed the dinghy instead of you know putting it 
up, you know, the weather was good. We just towed the dinghy out, out on the edge in open water in Georgian Bay from one place to another for many miles. We, you know, at anchorages, we'd cruise up and explore in the dinghy. There's so many neat places. One of my really beautiful anchorages at Obstacle Island, which, uh, and we, we ran with Wild Goose, probably some of the best runs we made, absolutely fabulous couple. And uh, we went into Obstacle Island, Celeste, after watching them go through this really tight spot next to the rocks, Celeste said, okay, we can't go through that. I said, oh, just calm down, yeah, we can make it. And anyway, once we got through this tight, tight, narrowest place, it said, Boats over 40 feet shouldn't go there. And Celeste read that and said, oh, we're bigger than that. We shouldn't go. I said, well, no, we're going to go. Anyway, back behind where we anchored. It was a beautiful anchorage. Then we got in the dinghy and explored through these tight little canals and the beautiful scenery through, you know, around the island. It's just spectacular. There's so many places to see, you know, and explore in, in a small dinghy that you can't get a bigger boat into. You're muted again. Thank you. Sorry, I'm trying to prevent that clicking and I keep forgetting. <laughs> um, so for you, anchoring a lot, um, would you say that a dinghy was a requirement for you? We get that question frequently. And for people who don't anchor a lot, maybe it's it's not. But for those who do anchor a lot, often they would absolutely consider it a requirement. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, would, I wouldn't want to do the trip without an anchor. You'll miss out on exploring some places. I mean, we just had a, a small engine, so we didn't go real great distances with a three and a half horse kicker, but it would go, our dinghy would go five or six miles an hour with that, with two of us in the boat. It also doubled as a life raft, it, you know, as the foam fell. So if, if my boat sank, I had some place to, uh, you know, I, I didn't, didn't carry a life raft like some people do. And it's not necessary that the loop you're in protected waters, the, you know, 95% or more of the time, and always close, except when you get out in the remote areas of Georgian Bay, you know, you need to run with some buddy boats. And, and uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't do the loop without a dinghy. Mm -hmm. We also get lots of questions uh, for those who anchor a lot about their anchor, how many they had, what kind of anchor did you prefer, um, and any other tips you have on anchoring or ground tackle? Well, uh, Captain John, who's done in the loop, more times than probably most people or any, maybe anybody else. He recommends a, a boat length of chain and, and then uh, line road for elasticity. I mean, a lot of people have all chain, then you have to have to use a snubber to give you some elasticity, but chain weighs more. You don't need all chain. In my opinion, I, I'd much rather have part, part uh, line road. I, I had a total of four anchors I had a, uh, and my primary anchor, most would consider undersized for the weight of my boat. It was a 45 pound stainless plow. I also had a spare 53 pound plow in case I lost the primary. Uh, I chose to use a 45 plow because it had a little bit wider plow. I thought the holding power might might be a little better. It, it did exceedingly well. I, I found that uh, at a pawn shop for $250 and all solid stainless steel. I thought it was maybe custom made until I found one exactly like it for sale in the, in the uh, office at uh, Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, 
it, it did well enough. I had a 35 pound plow also on the bow sprit, just a lunch hook, not, not for overnight. And then I had a 40 pound Danforth on the deck as a spare too. Mm -hmm. Did you ever find uh, yourself deploying more than one anchor? Only on that, that last night we were out, we, we ran from Moorhaven west of Lake Okeechobee and got into Fort Pierce Anchorage a little bit after dark and it was blowing and, you know, slight light rain. You know, before I went to bed at midnight, I realized we had, had drug, you know, plowed a 150 foot furrow. And so I decided to pull that anchor up and, and pulled out the Danforth and secured it to the second road and put, put down the second. And that's the only time I used two anchors. Most of the time you don't need it. You know, I could have just switched because the Danforth is, is better in the sandy soil where we were anchored there. But then the plow worked good. Like I said, the wind was blowing 30 knots plus, and my boat has a lot of windage and, and weight. And most people, for the weight of my boat, they would recommend a 75 or 80 pound anchor. And, and, and I, I weathered a hurricane by myself, uh, Hurricane Irma up, up the St. Johns River and our highest gust there was 93 miles an hour. Wow, that must have been quite an experience. It was an experience, I don't want to repeat, but it, it, you know, the boat did good. Black Creek, 30 miles up to St. John is a real good hurricane hole if you're ever in the area and, and need to get out of, out of in a protected spot. Mm -hmm. And was that before or after your loop or during? That was before, that was before the loop. Before, yeah. I had, I, I lost two. I lost a sixty-pound plow there and a forty-pound Danforth because I I had the windlass, but it was not yet installed. There's no way I could lift up a water log tree manually by myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so a couple comments from those watching. Um, Dave said he was glad you could visit his hometown. So he's from Traverse City, Michigan. And a question for you about the inland rivers. Uh, Jim is asking, people are always concerned about the toes on the Illinois River south to Mobile. That's certainly where you're going to see them the most on the loop. Um, did you have any issues? And, you know, tell us more about dealing with toes along the way. No, I mean, a lot of people think they have to have AIS. And most loopers probably have radar. I had radar on my boat, but it's probably original and does not work. All The only electronics I had, I, I put a new... GPS with a new transducer, so I had good depth and, and good GPS. And, you know, it's just kind of eyes out the window are the best. I would always call a tow if, 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 you know, conditions demanded it. But, and also you'll run with a lot of the loopers that have AIS and they can see around the corners for you. So, I mean, all the loopers will help you out. I mean, I've had a lot of experience. So I, I didn't, I didn't feel like uh, the, the toes was a big issue. Some people get real nervous. My wife did a couple of times. Just south of Chicago in a really narrow place, it was raining and we passed a toe coming the other way and it was you know tight, probably about 10 to 12 feet between me and the toe and our barges and 10 or 15 feet on the you know, canal wall on the other side. But, you know, you can, you can squeeze through most any place and the tow operators are true professionals. It's amazing how they can handle those big, big, uh, raft, raft of barges. You're muted again, Kim. 
Thank you. I'm so sorry. You were kind enough to provide us with um, some pictures. So I'm going to go ahead and pop those up. Um, and you and I can keep chatting while those pictures are kind of showing. And if there's any you want to comment on, of course, feel free to do that. Um, but tell us, and, and feel free, Ken, to just interrupt if there's a picture you want to comment on. From the mooring field there. Mm -hmm. And the fireworks show from Navy Pier, which was beautiful. Yeah. That was a sunset in Chicago. So well, and that's the Chicago River. It looks like, but while we're looking at the, you know, these these gorgeous scenes from the Loop, tell us, you know, that what was the Tennessee River with Dream Seeker, where we shared a beautiful moonlit anchorage. That's Grandfather mm -hmm. on the Tennessee River. Uh, oh, that's oh, some kites there. Rivers. And that was in Milwaukee. That's a picture of uh, Stink Pot. And that was my favorite anchorage at Croker Island in Georgian Bay. Absolutely mm -hmm. breathtaking. That was up, that's pictures taken from the hills where we picked wild blueberries that the bears didn't swim out to get. <laughs> um, that was the one night on the hook we spent in Lake Superior with the good weather forecast that held. This is going up the Fjord Bay Fin in Canada, which is absolutely beautiful and a must stop. That's the pool at the end of Bay Fin with the quartz hills behind the boat. That was Alpine Lake Topaz up above, and that's looking down from 600 feet above the, the anchorage at the pool. This was a hole in the wall at a cut through in Georgian Bay, real close to, and that's the uh, big chute going across the Grant Hill at the end of the Trent Severn into, into Georgian Bay. That, that previous photo was hole in the wall near Ojibwe Lodge, which is absolutely breathtaking and recommended stop. There's a couple more pictures of the big chute and that, that was over pretty quick, just like uh, the Petersburg lift lock. That's the minimal falls at Finland Falls, but that's a, one of the premier stops with power on the walls there. Most of the walls in Canada do not have power. We were, you know, blessed to, especially blessed to have power at Buckhorn where it was 91 degrees two days in a row. So we had air conditioning the whole time without having to run the generator. That was the narrow passage of about 25 or 30 miles where you recommended to call. There's the Petersburg lift lock. That narrow patch you recommend to call security ahead in case you meet a boat coming the other way because it's very narrow. That's it close to the top at uh, the Petersburg lift lock. And there's a rookie in trading in the control tower. That, that picture is the last lock in the flight of eight coming up into downtown Ottawa. That's just a scene on the Tennessee River or the Little Tennessee River of the Great Smoky Mountains. That's just a typical scene of the beautiful rock formations on the Tennessee River. Those were three witches that arrived a couple of days before Halloween in downtown Knoxville. And there's us passing Lady Liberty, entering New York, going around to anchor. That's a beautiful mansion, historic mansion that's in Whitehall, New York. 
And there the admiral took the wheel briefly. Usually she just barked out orders to the captain. Uh, this is a lighthouse in Solomon's. It used to be out in the bay as a tour. You can see a family used to live in that and, and operate the lighthouse. That was in Solomon's, or not, uh, excuse me. Uh, that was uh, next spot after Solomon's and on the Chesapeake Bay, we anchored off and dinghied in. This picture was Exus and short story anchored in Sumter just south of uh, Columbus and this sunset pictures in Venice, Florida, where there, there is a free dock that says no overnight tie ups, but we stayed there and no one bothered us. You know, there's no power, but it was it was a nice spot. You're muted again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I usually don't mute myself, but that clicking seems to be coming from my end. So I keep trying to mute and then I'm forgetting. So I apologize. Um, but that is just a sampling of the stunning pictures that Ken and Celeste took along the Great Loop. Um, so, Ken, tell us, you know, what what did it mean to you and Celeste to get to have this adventure? What did you gain from doing the Great Loop? Well, everyone that's done it will tell you it's the adventure of a lifetime, which I have to agree. Celeste called it the adventure before dementia, at least for her. <laughs> for me, it was the adventure with dementia. But I, I found my way home in spite of it. And like I said, it's just the most fabulous experience. You get a great appreciation for American history. You know, the waterways were our first highways in America. And there's history lessons all along the way. I was not a good history student as a kid. But, you know, as you get older, you have more appreciation for, for those that have come before you. And just fabulous things to learn and see all the way along the way. Is there anything you would do differently in hindsight about the trip? Any stops you would change? Any you know places you'd stay longer? Well, I, I would like to have stayed longer all the way along. Probably we spent three nights in uh, Ottawa, two nights in Montreal. Uh, so I spent two nights with a harbor host in Cape Coral on the way home. Former uh, harbor host of the year, I think. And uh, I would have liked to have left earlier, so I didn't. And I, I can go back and spend more time in the Chesapeake, maybe, if I can talk Celeste into going again. We we did 164 locks, and she she didn't really like the locks with a big heavy boat that she couldn't you know hold against the wind. So I understood that, but we we made it, and uh, it's, it's just a fabulous experience. And you you learn a lot and get better as you go. Teamwork improves. As Celeste had very little experience on the boat. I mean, we, the, the two longest trips before the Great Loop were two hurricane evacuations, one of which Celeste did through Lake Okeechobee. The other one I did by myself up to up the east coast of Jacksonville and 30 miles up the St. John's. But, you know, you can, uh, you can take off, get a boat, Get familiar with it, get it in good shape mechanically, and, you know, go do it. Don't be afraid. It's not that hard. All the other loopers will help you along the way, and I had a lot of help from a lot of other people that knew more than I did. Mm -hmm. And Susan says it sounded like you took some of the same routes along the way. Um, so it sounds like you may do it again. Um, is you still own God's Grace? I, I do. It, it is for sale now on the forum. 
You know, mm-hmm. I'll be 68 in a couple of months. And I did the, the bottom job by myself in December. And it, it's a lot of work for an old man. And I'm, I'm picky and, and uh, financially challenged. That's why I did it myself. <laughs> but, so talk a little bit about the transition, you know, from finishing the loop to um, kind of back to regular life, because we hear from a lot of gold loopers about that post loop letdown. Um, so tell us what that was like for you and Celeste. And we know she is a traveling nurse and still working, right? So how has that worked out for the two of you in your post loop life? Well, it's, it's been a challenge since she's been traveling. What happened, the local hospital was bought by Cleveland Clinic. And when we got home, they had a new requirement. All nurses have to get a bachelor's degree in nursing within three years. She has a bachelor's degree, but it's not in nursing. 40 years experience in the OR, I don't think that extra degree is going to help her be a better nurse. So it just didn't make any sense. And typical corporate policies, they remove the manager's ability to think and use their brain. And, you know, the tuition was 12 grand for another four or five years. It just made no sense at all. So she's she's been traveling and will finish up in May in Calhoun and, and be home. Fortunately, going to a, one of my niece's weddings in Tallahassee in two weeks. So I'll get to see her and, and then she'll be home hopefully three weeks later. So if anybody who's watching on Facebook has questions, you can go ahead and and type those into the comments. Uh, We'd be happy to try to address those for you. Um, In the meantime, Ken, what are um, some pieces of advice that maybe you have for those who are watching and are still very early in their planning process and trying to decide, um, you know, first, is this for them? And if so, what's the best advice that you have for them as they continue to plan and and hopefully drop those doc lines soon? Talk talk to people who've done it before. Go look at a lot of boats trying to decide what fits your lifestyle. I mean, this boat was not bought with the loop in mind, but it turned out to be great because it only drew three and a half feet and less than 14 feet air draft with more space and comfort than you need. We you know, have an 18 cubic foot refrigerator with ice maker who we had ice cream and cold beer the whole way. And we could go two, two weeks plus in between provisioning stops. You don't need all that, but it just makes life more comfortable plus we had 250 gallons of water so we could go two weeks between water stops as well which not everybody could uh you know those that are looking to buy a boat go look at as many boats as possible see what fits your lifestyle you know my advice a lot of people think i want a boat that's only 10 years old the newer the boats you get the more depreciation you will experience you know boats are not an investment You, you probably will not get most of you or not get all your money back, but the experience is worth it. Don't delay. Go ahead and do it while you're young enough and healthy enough to enjoy the most incredible experience and see America and Canada, hopefully, hopefully this summer, if not. Hopefully. (laughs) We're all hoping for that. Um, Kelly aboard uh, NTW says hi from their crew. Is that how you say that boat name? I've seen that so many times and I've never quite been sure how to say it. Do you know, Ken? I-N-N-T-W. Kelly um, from NTW. NTW. I'm not familiar with that boat, but I've got early Alzheimer's, so I... (laughs) Well, Kelly, if you can tell us how to say that, I've seen your boat name so many times and was just never quite sure how you say it. I-N-N-T-W-A. So I'm not sure if they say oh, that in. In, in, in Tuya. In Tuya. 
in Tua. I, you know, I'm familiar. Yeah, they were they were fabulous friends. I mean, super family. And I can't remember what that stands for. It's uh, like I said with the early dementia, or maybe it's on time now. I, so I've forgotten so many of the wonderful yeah. <laughs> contacts we made. But that, that well, one. go ahead. And um, Ed, uh, it, that stands for if not now, then when. That's, that's is what that means. Not now, then when. I couldn't couldn't recall that it was buried in the data bank that I couldn't couldn't pull it out of the memory <laughs> you know and now that now that a few people have chimed in with that I think I probably did know that along the way because it sounds familiar but I've always seen that boat name and went hmm <laughs> um, and I love the stories behind boat names because there's always great stories there that boat name is a great advice to any considering the loop if not now when go ahead and do it as soon as possible, you know, and I have to take my hat off to Celeste, you know, as a surgical nurse, she's seen so many people making plans and, and God laughs, you know, people get sick or develop cancer, their health goes downhill and they never get to leave the dream. So, and she, yeah. let's go ahead and do this now. She quit her job, got off on her last day at three o'clock and we left the dock at 430. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, in the, in the past year, um, we've been reminded of that sadly too many times because we have lost members to COVID, um, you know, some who were gold loopers and some who had just bought their boat and hadn't had the opportunity to start. So, I mean, absolutely. Um, obviously, you need to make sure that you're prepared and you uh, know how to manage your boat, you know, how to handle your boat and that you can cruise safely. Um, but beyond that, um, I've seen far too many people who just planned and planned and didn't quite get the opportunity to do it. Um, question, any places to get fuel after Bobby's fish camp? To the best of my knowledge, from Bobby's to Mobile um, or to, you know, the Dog River area on Mobile Bay, or there's no fuel stops between there. Is that your experience as well, Ken? Well, I, fuel was not an issue with me. I have a six to 700 mile range. So, you know, I filled up wherever it was cheap and it lasted a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we took on some fuel at Demopolis and then not again until Carabelle filled up there before we crossed the Gulf. And that got me all the way home from Carabelle and had fuel left over. I actually went to, went to uh, New Smyrna for the month of February after we got home and back. Yeah. But a fuel. Bob, mm -hmm. Bobby's to Mobile Bay is not the greatest distance between fuel stops. And that's why I can't quite, think of the number of miles. It's less than 200. Um, the greatest distance between fuel stops right now is um, 250 or so. It's 250. Um, it's from Alton basically to Paducah. Um, we are actually super hopeful that Hoppies will be back online to pump fuel in the next month or so. Right. Um, it's looking good that they'll be back and that'll bring that back down to 200 miles from Hoppies to Paducah. Um, so Bobby's to Mobile Bay, I want to say, is in the 150-ish mile range. Um, but I don't believe there's any fuel stops between there. If anybody watching knows differently, please uh, go ahead and, and chime in so we can get Kent the correct information. Um, but I don't know of any between Bobby's and Mobile Bay. Um, so we are just about ready to wrap up, unless there are any other questions from those watching on Facebook. Um I'm sorry that Celeste wasn't able to make it. We do know that, that she's working, but um, any 
last thoughts that you want to share, um, you know, about your loop experience or about the boat or about just, you know, what it's meant to you to do this trip? Well, uh, like I said, it's, it's the most fabulous experience you'll, you'll likely ever have in your whole life. You'll make lots of friends and lifelong friends. I mean, don't delay. Go ahead and do it. Go look at as many boats as possible, try and decide what you need, you know, and what, what fits your lifestyle and comfort level. You know, you can do it on a lot smaller boat than, than I had. And I could do that because Celeste, my wife, is a fabulous, adventuresome gal. We, we spent two weeks and went to seven different national parks camping out for for two weeks out west and uh, so but you need to be comfortable and get get something that that both if it's a husband wife whoever's going that that you're comfortable on get familiar with it and and go do it you'll get lots of help along the way get it in good shape if you can before you leave and uh, get to know it so you understand things because there will be places out in the boonies if something goes wrong there won't be a mechanic available <laughs> yeah that's great advice and loopers uh you know by and large are an extremely helpful group of people so you're typically not out there alone uh, but it is good to be familiar with your boat's systems of course um ken freeman the boat is god's grace um please give celeste our best we did miss her um and yeah well and hopefully you know we'll get to see all of you face to face again soon um, so thank you for joining us and for sharing those details of your trip and telling us about your boat. Well, it's my pleasure, Kim, and thank you for all that you do. And if anybody is coming by Vero Beach, uh, look look up God's Grace and, and contact me by email or phone. Uh, in fact, I just had a few, future looper. My guy grew up next door to as a kid, uh, Gator Brown. He's on a 40-foot aspen. He spent the night tied up to my dock last night. And uh, he's in New Smyrna tonight, and he'll be coming your way, Kim. And uh, but any, anybody else that's in Florida, if you're looking for a boat, come come look at this old classic boat. You'll be challenged to find as much comfort for the low investment that you can can get this boat. Yeah, and can can you mention that it's listed on the AGLCA class classifieds? Yes. Yeah, so those are available whether you're a member or not. Only members can post a classified ad, but anyone can view them. So if you go to the greatloop.org website, go to the shop menu, you'll see a link right there to classifieds. Um, and you can find Ken's boat and others there to take a look at. So that's one resource. But we hope that those of you who aren't members will visit the greatloop.org website. We've got lots going on. Um, lots of right now we've got a photo contest going on, a T-shirt design contest. We've got Docktails in Charleston on Saturday, as I mentioned. So if you're in or around Charleston, um, definitely plan to come to that. And we are uh, in the midst of preparing for our virtual spring rendezvous. Hopefully this is the last large scale virtual event and then we'll be back to face to face. Um, but the registration is open for that on our website as well. And I will leave it to everyone to check out the details there. So greatloop.org again is the association's website. Um, Ken Freeman from God's Grace, thanks again. We really appreciate you and, and give our best to Celeste. Thank you so much, Kim, for all you do. You really are such an asset to all of the cruisers oh. out there. That's very sweet. Thank you. And it is my absolute pleasure. I have the, the greatest job in the world because I get to 
um, work with people who are out there having a blast all the time. So it, it's it's great and it's it's great fun. So well, thank you to everyone who's watched. Um, we will be back in two weeks with our next Docktails. Um, between then, we've got podcasts and other things going on. So we'll see everyone soon. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.